This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book and is number two of the series entitled, Ye See Your Calling. It is our custom at this meeting to read a portion of scripture and we are continuing our reading in the first epistle to the Corinthians. This time we are reading 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3. If you care to switch off for a moment or two and read with us, would you remember that will be the basis of our teaching this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3. In our first study, under this heading, Ye See Your Calling, we were considering particularly the closing verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let us read verse 26 again. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Well, this evening we are focusing our attention particularly upon that verse, that the plan of salvation has among its many objects one thing, that there should be no boasting in self or in anything that self has done in the presence of God by the redeemed. I suppose it's one of the things which are characteristic of every one of us to find something to boast about. I remember reading of a dentist who worked up a fine clientele because he told the person whose tooth he extracted he'd never seen such pangs in all his life. Well, everybody was boasting about the pangs that they got in their teeth, you see. And if we can't find something to boast about, we invent one. But not in this presence. But we have been given something to boast about. And the first thing I want to remind you is uh, that we mustn't mix up two words that are found in the New Testament, both of them translated glory. There is the genuine glory of God. Uh, into the meaning of that I'll have to leave it because it would take us too far afield. But don't think it merely means splendor or magnificence. It's something richer and deeper. But the other word, glory, is this word boast. When it says, let no man glory in men. Same idea, and you see that's where chapter 3 ends. We're still on the same subject. Chapter 3, 21 says, therefore, let no man glory in men. And it tells you why. For all things are yours. So we're back again where we started. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see, we've got something to boast about in Christ. The genuine thing. What foolishness then to spoil it by even a little boasting in that which is corrupt and must pass away. First of all, you know how he stresses calling in the first chapter. Let's remind ourselves, it won't do us any harm to see he's got a consistent sort of method of dealing. In the first verse, he, he is a called apostle. 
And in the second verse, they are called to be saints. And those who in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And so he comes down this story and then enters into the realm of, of foolishness as over against wisdom. And we have those two balanced, but sometimes it's the other way around. The very foolishness of God is wiser than men. Is stripping us, you see, of the possible ground of boasting. And he's touching them on their weak spot. If you look at each one of the epistles, you'll discover that he's attacking something specifically. He's not writing something general. The Corinthians were very much addicted to the wisdom side of things, as it says. The Greeks seek after wisdom. Well, he said, yes, but you know, there's a wisdom of the world. The philosophers were seeking and searching to find the beginning of things and the end of things. And look at the mess they made of it. They never found it and never will. If you come to the Galatians, he's not dealing with wisdom for they weren't a wise people. But they were being led away by practicing various rites and ceremonies and putting themselves under legal obligations. So he attacked the law as a means of salvation. Or you might go somewhere else and find that he's stressing for all he's worth the redemption or other reasons. So here we have in these words. Now chapter 2 where we started our reading. He said, I determined, oh in verse 1, and I brethren when I came to you came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. You see that's how he might have gone. Now it doesn't mean to say that you and I have got to be slipshod in our speech and offend the ears of those who listen to us. But we mustn't make such a parade of it that the people will say, oh, what an eloquent address with nothing in it, you see. Oh no, we're not saved by eloquence. We could be damned by it. So he said, I I upset you and I upset myself. I was with you in fear and trembling for I knew I was going to disappoint you greatly but I preached nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, he wouldn't give them any ground of boasting either in himself or anyone else. Now I want you to notice one or two references where this word boasting or glorying comes before we come back to the passage before us in 1 Corinthians. And there are two or three in the epistle to the Romans if you'll just turn back so that you shall see the use of this word. (coughs) Romans the fourth chapter verses 1 and 2. Romans the fourth chapter 1 and 2. What do we say then? That Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh, have found. Well, you know what you've got to hear, don't you? Simply nothing. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath we are off to glory. Now that's this word boast, you see. Boast. If he was saved by his own works, well then he was saved by his own works and he could boast before God. But he says, oh no, not before God. He's just believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And then in chapter 5, he uses the word again in another context. Chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. Here's the boasting again. Rejoice this time. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we glory in tribulations also. We boast in them. Well, you said, here's a fine affair. 
he's boasting in tribulations. Ah, but he says they never come without a purpose. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And the Apostle Paul evidently felt his need of that, for he says you have need of patience. And when he was giving that index of the gifts that had been given to him as an apostle, the very first one he put was patience. And he's not the only one, friend, is he? Perhaps you're thinking of yourself, or you may even be thinking of me, because occasionally, when I speak to certain types of people, I find I have to count ten before I answer them. And then I, I get very weak over it, and I ask Mr. Galatly to speak to them instead. Of course, he's a symbol of patience in this meeting. Romans 15, verse 7, is another reference to this. He says, um, verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have there whereof to, I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. I have that, you see, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed and mighty signs and wonders. And so he goes on using this particular word, glory. Well, we must come back now or come on to 1 Corinthians once more, the first chapter. In uh, another passage in Romans, I'll turn to this and quote it, he uses the word which means to turn the key in the, do- in the lock. Romans, the third chapter, I ought to have given you that at the same time. Romans, the third chapter, he says, verse 27, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. And the Greek word is locked out. The key turned. If you've gone through Romans 1, 2 and 3, and you still have the feeling you can boast in yourself, well, you must be either blind or unable to read and understand the message it's given. It's absolutely impossible. If you know the grace of God and the redemptive work of Christ and the imputation of his righteousness, because you're only standing before God now and through eternity, and you can find some room for boasting in yourself when you're a, an abnormal person and you'll have to be put away and stand there as an exhibit on your own. But he says, oh no, it's locked out, excluded. There is a false basis of boasting. I'll give you another one in Romans. That is in chapter 2. It looks then as a good many references in Romans, yes, because of the nature of his witness. Now he's dealing with the people of Israel themselves in chapter 2. And he says to them, verse 17, chapter 2, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Well, he says, anyone who does that has got a position to keep up. If you are making your boast in God, what sort of exhibition are you giving? You say you know his will. You approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. You are an instructor of the foolish. He says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And so he goes on, you see, 
to say that this is excluded. Verse 23, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, so there he was, the boast in God, thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. So you see, it's a sore point in these scriptures that anyone who has even come to a knowledge of Christ should ever have this bombastic sort of appearance. Now, shall we turn just to the epistle to the Ephesians and see how he speaks of it there in a passage we've had before us before, Ephesians chapter 2. The whole scheme of salvation, as you remember, is salvation by grace through faith, not of works, and then he adds the words, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For, ye, for by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We reminded you, I believe, on another occasion, that this word gift is used in a very peculiar sense here. Every other occurrence of the word gift is someone bringing a sacrificial gift to God, and this is the exception. He has stooped down and brought this sacrificial gift to you. What room of boasting is there for you in that, if he's done that, you see? So you see, it's a serious matter to have this brought before us. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We make our boast in Christ and we haven't got any confidence in ourselves. The two make up the one, the whole. You see, you turn it over. You boast in Christ, but you can't boast in the flesh at the same time. And then we must include that one that I suppose is in your mind, which comes in the epistle to the Galatians, as it should do, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 14. Now, let, let us notice um, how this is introduced. Verse 11. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Now, it would, it would appear that he, it might mean he was writing a very long letter. You know, page after page after page. But that isn't the word letter here. This is the word character, which means a letter of the alphabet. And if you have seen some of the Greek alphabets, uh, Greek manuscripts, you will find that certain words sometimes are written in capital letters to make them stand out boldly, like we do today in print. So it looks as though he took the pen from the hand of the amanuensis, who was writing it in that lovely style of writing which we now can see on some of our manuscripts, and he said, you see, with what large letters I'm writing to you, because in this epistle to the Galatians, he says that he had such a a sickness among them, that they would have plucked out their own eyes if it had been of any use to him. So there's every possibility he was suffering from a very prevalent eye trouble in the East in those times, 
but is appealing to them like this. You see with what large letters I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, here they are, you see, Corinthians, here they are, Ephesians, lest any man should boast, here they are in Romans, boasting in this, boasting in that. They constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory Boast in your flesh. But here he comes. But God forbid that I should glory or boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And then the last reference before us is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. I think that will have more or less given you a little conspectus of the way in which this word has been used by the Apostle in different ways, all impinging on the same thought, not of self, but of Christ and his finished work. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. He says, um, suppose if we look back a little bit, he's now once again speaking to these, trying to put them right. Verse 11, or verse um, Nine, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters, for his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech contemptible. So they were taking it out of him properly, weren't they? But he comes back on them, you see. He says in verse 13, we will not boast of things without our measure. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labours, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Of course, you've got to know what the apostle's writing about a bit here. He's writing about the almsgiving that was to be entrusted to him to take and so on. He's still on this one thought that whatever you do, whatever phase of service it might be, when you're finished, as the parable puts it, you'll stand in the presence of that master you serve and say, after all, we're unprofitable servants if it's merely ourselves that have to be taken into account, apart from the grace that God gives us. Well, now we come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because there's a need to examine that verse a little more closely. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we read in, the, in verse... Um, 29 and 30, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But, I know I've said before, but ooh, do, do watch these little words like but. It brings you up with a jolt. It stops you and says, now, now, we're going to change our approach. I've been speaking about one way, but this is God's way. But, of him are ye in Christ Jesus, 
who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And as that verse stands, we can see what a basis we have for glorying in the Lord and none in ourselves. But there's a little word in the original of this which is not translated here. And I'm going to take the opportunity of giving you a few passages to show you that it's worthwhile remembering that it's got a meaning. It's only a two-letter word, T-E, that's all. But when it occurs in a sentence, it has the, the bearing like of saying both this and that. The easiest way to demonstrate its usage will be to look at a few passages. So, the Acts, the, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. This presence in the passage of this little particle, T-E. The former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. I could say that, couldn't I? But this man slips the little word T in and says, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. It makes you say, yes, there was the teaching and there was the doing and they balance one with the other. It's there, it's got a place, you see. And again in chapter 24, verse 15, we won't tarry on these passages, but just to show you that they have a bearing. 24, 15. Um, he says in verse 14, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they called heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Doesn't merely say the just and the unjust, but he puts in both of. And so he gives you two classes. Both the just and the unjust. And 26, 16. This is a very important one so far as we are concerned. The apostle is reporting for the first time in scripture what the Lord said to him on the road to Damascus. Up till now we know what he said to Ananias. We know what was told, but here for the first time he reveals what was actually said to him. I said, he, I said unto him, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. Both. Now you see, both is standing there. Two things are going to be said, not one. Both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. So that means a future ministry was involved as well as the present one. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. And here's an epitome of Ephesians, before it was written. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So there was the twofold ministry suggested there in that one verse. 
Well then Romans the first chapter, Romans the first chapter verse 12, he says in verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You see how it keeps coming? It's giving a, a sort of a definition. These two parties are in view. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And one more reference, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. And then I think I've demonstrated that it's worth paying attention to this. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times or seasons, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Well now, if that little particle is in the verse we've been looking at, it looks as though it would do us good if we put it there, don't you? So he says to them, in effect, you see, you haven't realised the extent of the work of Christ, not fully. For but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Now I take a little liberty with this because I'm trying to find a place where to put the word both in. So, I think this gives it as far as I can wade over in our own idiom. But I'm not putting, putting it forward as a new translation. It's only just for the time being. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto us? Wisdom. Righteousness. Sanctification. As well as redemption. You see the end coming there, stopping. He says, look, you made a start, believers, and you know that Christ is your Redeemer. But Christ is your wisdom, and Christ is your righteousness, and Christ is your holiness, as well as redemption. In other words, Christ is all or nothing. You can't be a redeemed child of God and boast in your wisdom, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, it's because you had no righteousness of your own, and the righteousness you have is like Abraham. You believe God, and it was counted unto you. You can't boast in that. And sanctification, which one of us, by toiling up steps, or wearing hair shirts, or neglecting the body, or doing anything, can ever produce a sanctification, a holiness, which will stand the searchlight of that presence in that day. It's not thinkable, is it? Like the hymn puts it, eternal light. How pure that soul must be. And then try to work that out. But down here, by things that you have done, or planned, or suffered. So, see, that little tiny particle slipped in there. Seems to hold you up and say, yes, it must be all these or none to me. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, which of God is made unto you wisdom? Well, he's been dealing with wisdom, and it doesn't take you very far in this man's wisdom. The only wisdom that matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The wise men of this world, if they'd only known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
and righteousness and sanctification as well as redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth or makes his boast, let him glory or make his, make his boast in the Lord. Well now he goes on with this. As you see we were reading chapter 2. He says in verse 12 of this chapter 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. But the spirit. But the spirit uh, we have not received the spirit of the world. But the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak. Not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. You see, when once you are redeemed, and you come to this complete thought, that Christ is all in all to you, whenever you start studying the word of God, or trying to speak to others about it, you'll doubt very much the ability of your own wisdom, to be able to make much of it. You will fall back on the fact that he is your wisdom. And unless he lightens your eyes, And unless he enlightens the eyes of your hearers, you're not getting very far. And that's what we're going to find in a moment. But we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, then are negative. Not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. This has to do with teaching. But which the Holy Ghost teaches. Comparing spiritual with spiritual. Now I stress this because I believe this is a companion principle that should guide us every time we seek to understand the word of God. A companion principle to the other one that has been so fruitful, right division. Right division separates and puts into little categories. Now this principle says now, having separated them, compare those which are comparable. You see, you can't separate, uh, unless you make a chaos of it, if you're told to separate apples from oranges, well, I suppose without being given your lecture, you will put all the apples in one basket and all the oranges in the other. You don't really separate, but you put in groups, don't you? Well, he says, that's what I want you to do. You rightly divide the word of truth. But that's not really making a chaos of it. Remember, you're handling spiritual things. These are the words which the Holy Ghost teaches. And you should seek those words first. And then build up your doctrine upon it by comparing one passage with another. There are some who jib at this because it means a good deal more perspiration than inspiration. And I must confess that sometimes when I'm working on a very difficult passage I almost yield to the temptation of oh dear, I've got to get up and get that huge book again just to be sure that this particular word means so and so. But I'll tell you what I do. If I find myself flagging like that I just stop for a minute and I sing to myself, not in a very wonderful, not music about it, I just think to myself a little verse, I spent long years for thee, hast thou spent one for me? I say, yes Lord, I get round and get the book, sit down again, open this big volume and search, but all what night comes when you'll only do it for me. You see, there are so many things that we don't know that this is a corrective. Now, I'm not trying to find fault with anybody, but when it impinges upon our calling, it might be worthwhile mentioning it. 
We read in the epistle to the Ephesians that we are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Well, on the surface, we think, well, that looks as though it means right back in the beginning. But one friend who is an interpreter of scripture, he now says that it means we are chosen now at this present moment before God sets up his future world order in the future. And those who accept that simply allow that person to tell them what that verse means without referring to anything else. But you see, here's your corrective. You say, wait a minute. We are dealing with the words which the Holy Ghost teaches, aren't we? And the word foundation of the world is used in more than one passage, isn't it? Yes. Well, before you build your doctrine, make sure you've got all the passages before you so that you can compare them. So that before the foundation of the world comes in John 17, and our Saviour is there reported as saying to the Father, Thou lovest me, before the foundation of the world. Well, you ever try to put there, Thou lovest me, before thou dost set up the future world order? Makes nonsense of it, you see. And uh, Peter says that Christ was verily set forth a lamb without blemish and without spot, before the foundation of the world that now is revealed. That but now upsets it a bit, doesn't it? And then, if only you'll take the other passages too, far more since the foundation of the world, you find that it goes back to Abel, the first martyr to shed his blood since the foundation of the world. Well, if since the foundation of the world goes back to Abel, before the foundation of the world must go back before Adam, mustn't it? Don't you see the value? before you build a doctrine and lead some of God's people astray, to do this. Don't trust your own wisdom. These are words which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. And then, of course, we've got the guarantee that if we do that, we should at least be put on the right direction with regard to the teaching of the Word of God. And um, we go on in this chapter. You remember? Chapter 3. He speaks about service. He says, you're, you're very wrong in making your boast. Making your boast. What they're making their boast in this time? All one says, I'm a Paul. Or some people may accuse you and me of that if we're not careful. We only value Paul because he was a gift of God to us Gentiles. But Paul repudiates the slightest idea of putting him upon a pedestal he says, was Paul crucified for you? I remember reading in ancient history, well, I don't know about ancient history, the history of the Middle Ages. I think someone said to uh, a, an emperor of Germany in those days, early days, what did a person have to do to get a following like uh, the Christian church? And the king says, oh, be crucified for them. You see? And Paul says, was Paul crucified for you? So he says here, when you say I'm a Paul and I'm of Apollos and so on, oh no, he says, you're boasting in the wrong direction. Then he says, with regard to service, I have planted. Oh, let's be thankful that Paul planted. I have laid a foundation. Let's be thankful that Paul laid a foundation. But he says, Apollos watered. I notice that Apollos has watered these flowers because sometimes Apollos has been so busy 
throughout the week that these that drink a lot of water have drooped on on the Sunday. We've done our best with them. Good old Apollos to give them a refresher. Paul has planted. Apollos watered. So what? Well, he said, it's God that gives the increase. You don't perform a miracle when you water. You don't perform a miracle when you plant. You only put things in the right place for the miracle of growth. However scientific the language may be, the miracle of growth, and that comes from God. So he doesn't discount the planting, and he doesn't discount the watering. But we've got to remember there's no boasting there apart from the glory of God. Uh, when we read it, we read, of course, as our authorised reads, for we are labourers together with God. It's not quite so high as that in the original. We, Paul and Apollos, are both of us fellow labourers belonging to God. We are his husbandry. We are his building. Of course, we may say we do work with God, but that's what he's not he's saying here. He says, I, the almighty apostle Paul, and you, the lowly Apollos, we are both, both fellow workers belonging to God. And we were only speaking recently about the way in which work is done in this chapel. Now, we're not putting ourselves on a, a ground of boasting, friends. We're only saying that nobody is asked to do a tremendous lot of work. It seems as though we function a little bit like members of the one body. And we wake up to find that somebody has been doing a work for weeks and nobody told him to do it. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? We're not working for one person only. We're working together, belonging to him. And so, there is no possibility of saying one part's more important than the other. As I've said before, you know what I'm referring to. I say, the mouth in the pulpit cannot say of the car on the road, I have no need of thy transport, because if I can't get here, well, I talk to myself, but what's the good of that, friend? Don't you see how valuable this thought is, and the boasting should be in the right direction? Then he says, you're on a foundation. But always says, don't start boasting about the work you're doing. Watch your step. Because even though you're Christians on that foundation, your work may be wood, hay and thatch. You know, some years before Paul wrote these words, there was a, a siege of Corinth, and a part of it was burned to the ground, and there was on the market a metal called Corinthian brass. It was the metal that ran out of all the burning buildings that had gold and silver and copper and bronze and whatnot in them, and made an amalgam. They knew what he was talking about. The only thing that stood the fire was the stone, not the thatch. What sort of work are you building? So instead of boasting of what little bit we've done, rather come into the presence of God and have it assayed as it is present. And every man's work shall be tested. Well now we come to the bottom of this chapter, and I must come to an end, I see the indications are that my time is beginning to run out. He says, um, verse, um, or where should we start? Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. 
And he gives the reason again, as he did just now. For you've got it all in Christ. He said to them just now, this is, there's no room for you to boast in yourselves. For Christ is made unto you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification with redemption. So he says here, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Pephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Did you know you've got all that amount of possessions, friends? The world. Things present, things to come, life and death, Paul and all the lot of them. Why? And ye are Christ's. And that's not the end of it. And Christ is God's. It'd be right back along this avenue. Who's going to boast in these silly things if it shuts the door on that? Ye are Christ's. Christ is God's. So he said, God forbid that I should glory anything to do with self anything to do with the flesh but only and always and ever in the finished work of Christ well it may be that some of you friends who are listening to me you don't need this exhortation but I felt I should be very wrong if I said well you're all such lovely people you don't need it because you will now be able to tell those other people who didn't need it that they can listen to it on the tape And I wouldn't be at all surprised that you yourself will realise that the best of us, the very best of us, have got no ground of boasting except the ground of boasting that God has given us in Christ.